Lord, we have come today gathering as your people. We exist to bring you praise and honor as we sing, as we pray, as we open up the Word, and as we live. As we begin this study of the book of Colossians, Lord, may you use your Word. May you continue to work on the hearts of men and women who are dead in their sin. And may you draw them to yourself. May those in Christ continue to be refined and shaped by the Word. And as we rest in Jesus, may you make your people a holy people who are not consumed by the things of the world, but are set apart from the world. May we be a people who live simply, yet God-glorifying lives. And so may our lives be rooted in prayer, in the Scriptures, and, and singing. And may we reflect upon the supremacy of Christ. Our Lord Jesus is not merely sovereign. He is the Sovereign. Our Lord, put the stars in the sky. And Lord, you have even put breath in the lungs of your enemies for a season. And then they answer to you. Our Lord Jesus, you are before all things and in in you all things hold together. And so may your word shape your people here at North Hills for your glory. And may it be for our good. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you have a Bible this morning, our passage is going to be Colossians 1. Colossians 1, looking at verses 1 and 2. If you're using a pew Bible, Colossians begins on page 983. Page 983 in the the pew Bibles. So we'll read Colossians 1, verses 1 and 2. Two this morning, I was joking with Ryan earlier, I think I was assigned one too many verses. Colossians 1, 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. This is God's Word. So this morning, my aim for us together is to look at some of the background information of Colossians and then to also uh, work through, walk through these first, two, these first two verses in which people normally read or go past very quickly. Yet in these two verses this morning, we will see how doctrinally rich this greeting is. And so as we begin, uh, some background information for this book of Colossians. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the church in Colossae. And Paul wrote the letter to to the Colossians while imprisoned in between the years 60 or 62 AD. And this letter would have been circling around to other churches later on. This is a real letter from the Apostle Paul inspired by God. These words are God's words to the Colossians. And so this is a real letter to real people. I was reminded this week as James, James and I attended the Pillar Conference 
of the preciousness of that. As the conference was going on, conversations and people that are a part of North Hills were coming to my mind. Things that needed to be done, things that needed to be prayed for more, past conversations that we have wept over, just, just all the things that are involved in the life of the local church. And so as North Hills is dear to my heart, you are my people, Paul is writing this letter to the Colossians to a people that he has prayed for and labored over, as we see in verse 3 of chapter 1. That this people shows a love for the saints in verse 4 of chapter 1. And for those who have not seen Paul face to face, he desired that they were encouraged and knit together in love, as Scripture says in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 in Colossians. And so Colossae was a city that was located about 100 miles west of Ephesus. 100 miles west of Ephesus. So think Monroe to Shreveport. But by the time Paul was writing this letter to Colossae, a once thriving city became less important. One commentator makes note that of all Paul's letters, I thought, I thought this was quite interesting and, and funny at the same time. One, one commentator makes note that of all Paul's letters, the city to which they were written, the city of Colossae, was the least important. The original audience of this letter to the church in Colossae would have been a majority Gentile audience. And these are Gentiles who have shared in the gospel. And so as we make our way through Colossians, we will see how Scripture addresses some of these things regarding inheritance, mystery of the gospel, and circumcision. The structure of Colossians begins with this greeting before breaking into the content of the letter. It is similar to the Hellenistic letters of the day, but as we know, Paul was a good preacher, so his letters are normally longer than the Hellenistic letters that have been preserved from that time. And Paul, throughout this letter, brings clarity upon the gospel. And by doing so, would have addressed the false teaching in Colossae. He calls them to hold fast to the gospel and lays out what the gospel is, who Christ is, the sinfulness of humanity, the Lord's victory over enemies, suffering, and prayer, just to name a few things. And so Christians are to be encouraged by the gospel and gospel clarity. The good news that saves is the good news that keeps. And so this is why Paul writes this to the Colossians to address some of the false teaching and heresy that is the backdrop that is in the backdrop of this letter. And we we have some of these heresies still present today. Paul addresses this in verse 8 of chapter 2 that people are teaching according to human tradition and not according to Christ. And so in the backdrop of this letter, there is paganism, which among the unbelieving Gentiles would have been largely embraced. There's the false teaching of Jews and of the circumcision party that one has to be circumcised to be a part of the people of God, trying to bring a more binding rule upon believers, and they would not have embraced faith alone and Christ alone, 
that we are saved. We also see those among the Jews who are worshiping angels, as Paul addresses in chapter 2, verse 18. And because of all these different false teachings coming up, there's a form of syncretism that was, that was brought up as well that tried to blend all of this together. And syncretism is basically two different things compromising to be one, taking some out of this, teaching and some out, out of others, and, and trying to make it one. So how does the book of Colossians address these heresies? Colossians shows the supremacy of Christ and His authority. The book of Colossians reminds believers that it is in Christ we have redemption. In verse 14 of chapter 1, salvation has come by Jesus, and He is the sovereign. It is not angels, Caesars, popes, or other kings who are truly supreme. It is the Lord Jesus Christ who rules and reigns above all. The one who has created the world, the Lord Jesus, sustains it. And so Paul is pointing, pointing out, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. He has the true authority. And true followers of Him cannot pick and choose their preferences. We have no need for other religions. And this may upset some of those who hold to religious pluralism of our day that's saying everyone is going to heaven. But Christians gain no benefit from Buddhism or Islam or fill in the blank. Christ is supreme. He has no equal. There is the gospel of Christ or nothing. Either the claims of Christ are true or they are not. If they are true and they are, then everything else is a ship that is already sunk. Because it is Christ and in Christ alone that there is forgiveness of sin. Why would one need to worship a pagan deity or an angel? This is what Paul's letter reminds the church in Colossae, that Christ, Christ is supreme. And so as we go through this book of Colossians and remind ourselves, we are to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord and keep our focus upon His gospel. And as these false teachings and heresies arise, we can remind ourselves and others what the good news is. And not let the poison of false teaching reach the well from where we drink. We're to focus upon the supremacy of Christ and not be distracted. This is good for us. We are a people who constantly need to keep our eyes upon Christ. And by that, we will guard ourselves and others. And so as we begin our study this morning in Colossians... We're looking at verses 1 and 2. We see who has written this letter, who it is addressed to, and a greeting. So let's read Colossians 1, 1 and 2 again. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints, and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. So our, our two points this morning as we walk 
through this passage. Two points. God has spoken through Paul. God has spoken through Paul. We see that in verse 1. God has spoken through Paul. God has spoken to the saints. We see that in verse 2. So God has spoken through Paul. God has spoken to the saints. So point 1 from verse 1 this morning. God has spoken through Paul. As we begin our study of this book, we must recognize that these are God's words to God's people. The Lord is using Paul as a vessel to display His good purposes to these churches. This letter was written while Paul was imprisoned. Some hold to the view that Paul was speaking to Timothy and Timothy was transcribing because of Timothy being Included in verse 1. Now whether Paul put to the, uh, the, the pen to the page. Or Timothy was used to write for Paul. These are the very words of the Lord to this church in Colossae. And we also see similar uh, a greeting. We see a similar greeting in verses 1 and 2. To the church in Ephesus. So if you look at Ephesians 1 and 2 of chapter 1, uh, there's a very similar greeting there that Paul uses. So who is this Paul? Who is this Paul? The one who is who's writing to the Colossians. We are introduced to him in the book of Acts with the stoning of Stephen. Acts chapter 8, verse 1, begins by saying, Saul approved of the execution of, of Stephen. So this was a man who previously hated the Lord and his saints. The beginning of Acts chapter 8 describes that he was ravaging the church, entering house to house and putting people in prison. In the beginning of Acts chapter 9, Scripture says that he was still breathing, Paul, Paul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. But as he traveled on the road to Damascus, the Lord Jesus met him and blinded him. And Jesus said to him, Why are you persecuting me? In Acts chapter 9, verse 4. He was blinded for three days and then went to see Ananias. Ananias was told by the Lord in Acts chapter 9, verse 13, that Paul was a chosen instrument of the Lord and that he would carry the Lord's name before the Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. So Ananias departed to find Paul. And Ananias says to Paul in verse 17 and 18 of Acts chapter 9, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes. And he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. So Paul was a former persecutor and then one who was radically transformed by the Lord. The two descriptions of Paul in verse 1 are are very important. He is an apostle of Christ Jesus. He's an apostle of Christ Jesus. He is commissioned, commissioned by the Lord. 
This has happened by the will of God. By the will of God. Paul was a persecutor of the saints. It wasn't by Paul's will that that these things would come about. It was by the Lord's will. And so the phrase, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, it was making an appeal to Paul's authority for those who doubt his conversion and ministry. He is bearing witness to the gospel of Jesus. He's declaring the words of God. And he's he's an apostle not because of his own efforts, not because he met Jesus halfway, not because he came down, down an aisle, but because it was the will of the Lord. Now, there may be those who are offended at this phrase, will of the Lord. And to them, I would say, look at what riches of the Scriptures that you are missing. In this one phrase, in this one phrase here, the will of God, the will of the Lord, we see the display of the glory of God in conversion. God will get the glory. Paul was a wretch. He was a rebel to God who persecuted believers. And he was met by the Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. This rebel who had a zeal without truth could not see the glories of God. He was blinded physically. And then the Spirit of God changed his heart Remove the scales off his eyes. And Paul was born again from above. So what a miracle this is. This was not Paul's doing. Right? This was the Lord's doing. One being born again. One being born from above is a miracle. Now I don't know any among us who before we were believers were actively seeking to kill Christians or put them in prison. But what happened to the Apostle Paul happens to every believer in the Lord Jesus. We were once haters of God. And yet, we have our hearts radically changed. We've been transformed from death and sin to life in the Lord Jesus. And so the miracle of Paul's conversion is the miracle of our conversion we were dead with no hope we hated god and god in his grace opened up our eyes to behold him to look upon him and believe we were all dead in our sin and deserved death and hell and the lord jesus christ took on flesh living perfectly in our place. The wrath of God against sin was placed on Him. And He died as our substitute and rising again on the third. That those who come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ will have peace with God. We go from being blind to now seeing. What a miracle. What a miracle of God it is when one is converted. We had no taste for heaven's joys. Then what? The Spirit gave us life. Having no taste. And the Spirit gave us life. The same Spirit that worked in the life of Paul works in the lives of believers. 
And it was the will of the Lord that Paul would believe. Same for us. It's the Lord's will for this to take place. And why would Paul or anyone who has had their eyes open to the Lord then deny the grace of God in Christ Jesus? So what has taken place is a miracle. We see the Lord. We behold Him. We want Him. We want Him. He who has radically changed our lives. And so Paul's conversion, Paul's life did not point to Paul. Our our conversion does not point to ourselves. When one has been born again from above, all we can do is testify that the Lord has done it. All we can do is testify of His grace and mercy in Christ Jesus. And so be wary of people who say that they have been transformed by the grace of God and then they can get over it. Be mindful of those whose conversion points to themselves. That's not biblical conversion. Paul's conversion, our conversion, if we are in Christ, it points to Christ. Our conversion points to the Lord of all, and He will get all the glory. As we walk through some of this this morning, I want to be very careful. One of my mentors walked through one of Paul's epistles once, and someone came up to him after service, and they told him, I'm going to go home and study on the Apostle Paul all day. And he later told me, Evan, I missed it. He didn't say that because it would not be beneficial for a believer to go study. But he confessed this because this person was not seeing the glory of Jesus through the life of Paul. Paul still needed to be at the foot of the cross. He was a sinner towards a holy God just as much as you and me. And so this morning, it's my hope we come away from this passage and we see the glory of Christ and we behold Him. As verse 1 ends, Timothy is identified as a brother. He's, he's Paul's helper. And because of Timothy's appearing in this greeting, it's possible that he's helping Paul by pinning this letter to the Colossians. And unlike the, the letter to uh, the Galatians, unlike the letter to the Galatians, since Paul does not continue on in giving a defense of himself, or his ministry. We don't need to assume that Paul's apostleship here is being challenged in Colossae. So what do we see in verse 1? We see that God used the apostle Paul and God spoke through Paul. Verse 2 and point 2 for this morning. God has spoken to the saints. God has spoken through the apostle Paul to the saints. So in verse 2, Scripture addresses where the people are at, where the people are at, and to whom the people belong. They're at Colossae and they're in Christ. They're at Colossae and they're in Christ. The Greek word here, Adelphoi, 
that's translated to brothers could also be translated to brothers and sisters. And there are two adjectives before Adelphoi that could be translated as holy and faithful. Another possible translation of verse 2 could read, the holy and faithful brothers and sisters at Colossae in Christ. And the reason the ESV translated holy here as saints is because of other similar pa- or, uh, phrases throughout uh, Colossians and other uh, Pauline letters. And this is the difficulty of trans- translation work. But the point of verse 2 is to show the faithfulness of the church in the Lord Jesus Christ. This letter is written to the saints in Colossae, to a people who are set apart and distinct for the sake of the gospel. Notice that the scriptures does not begin by saying to the Jew or to the Gentile. He addresses the saints. The saints in Christ, both Jew and Gentile. It is Christ who unites his church. And the local church is the family of God. It is the local church believers, brothers and sisters that are in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters in the local church that are in Christ Jesus. And so this phrase, in Christ, in Christ is addressing their status. So the church at Colossae, in Christ is to whom they belong. This book of Colossians will address more later, later on what it means to be in Christ. But let's briefly think about what this means. Being in Christ means that we have union with King Jesus. We are His and He is ours. We just sung it a few minutes ago, right? Christ is ours forevermore. So we are united to our King by faith. The Apostle Paul reminds the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God. Because of Christ and His work, we are radically changed. Because of our union with Him in faith, we are justified. We are made right before a holy God and forgiven of our sin. Our sins are atoned for by His shedding of blood. In our place, He died. And so as one is in Christ, our identity is not in the world or the things of the world. Our identity is in Him. We are identified with Him because of Him, for His glory and for our good. Being united in Him, He is our treasure. We get Him. You know, a a Bentley, a house, all those things are going to rust and fade away. But Christ remains. We get Him. And we have gone from scraps outside of the kingdom to having a seat at the king's table. We don't get denied. We can come to our king in prayer and he hears us and answers according to his will. We don't have to pick up a phone and then sit in a queue. We can, we can go directly to the throne because of our union in Christ. We are known by him. We can bring our burdens to him 
and he knows them. Jesus says to his disciples in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, verses 22 through 28, Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on for life more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither, they, they neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Brothers and sisters, being in Christ, united to Christ, he loves his people. He cares for his people. And if you deny that, if you are tempted, if you are broken, look to the cross where he shed his blood. He loves his people. He cares for his people. And so this phrase, in Christ, it will take, uh, it's going to take an eternity to mine its depths, and then we will just scratch the surface. Being in Christ, we have grace and peace with the only God who is over all things. Colossians 1 verse 2 ends with grace to you and peace from God our Father. These two words, these two words, Grace and peace. Grace and peace. This is addressed to the believers. These, these two words can only be found and rightly understood in the vocabulary of the Christian. Grace is God's unmerited favor given to a people who behold Jesus. We did not earn this blessing or favor or right standing. That is what grace is. Unmerited unmerited, and given by the Lord. Peace. Peace with a holy God has come by Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father but by me. The only way we can have peace with God is by Jesus Christ. In Christ, we are forgiven of our sin. And we are now reconciled to a holy God. We have peace. We have peace. So grace and peace here is a greeting that unites the people of God in Christ. Who else can speak of grace and peace? Only believers. Only believers in the Lord Jesus. Because grace and peace are pointing to the work of Christ. Friends, if you are not in Christ, there is no grace. There is no peace. 
you will meet the just judgment of the Lord. But may today be a day of repentance. Behold the king. Look to the king. Run to him. So this greeting here, these first two verses, it starts off this letter to the Colossians. That is for the church. That is for the family of God. Those who are united in Christ Jesus. The Lord has spoken through the Apostle Paul to the saints, to those in Christ at Colossae. And so it is a privilege to be able to open up God's Word. As we read through Pauline letters, don't rush through them. Focus on what is grace, what is peace, what is the will of God. What do these words mean? Because Paul is writing them with intent to a people. He's writing it with intent to the church in Colossae. So may we not take this for granted as we open up God's word. May we gather together and be encouraged in and by the work of Christ until he comes. Beloved, fear not. Fear not. You are worth. You are of more value than many sparrows. We only get one life and it will soon pass. Only what is done for Christ will last. Let's pray.